For nearly 40 years, this story has given faithful service to the young in heart. Welcome to the Fangirl Hour, the podcast where we dive deep into the reasons why we love our fave fandom. Time has been powerless to put its kindly philosophy out of fashion. To those of you who have been faithful to it in return, and to the young in heart, we dedicate this podcast. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Fangirl Hour. So this week I was going to watch Beverly Hills 90210, the first episode, and I was going to talk about why I uh, like that show as much as I did and how I struggled with being honest about my love for it because it is known as a soap opera and it's known as cheesy and a lot of people say, well, I don't like that show. So I was going to go into why. But I ended up not having the chance to watch that episode. Um, It is actually a longer episode than normal. It's like two hours. uh, The, what is it? The first episode, the, not the premiere, whatever it is. It's called the the pilot episode. was actually two hours, almost like a movie. So it was broken into two different uh, weeks. And yeah, and so I was going to do that, but I just didn't have the time. And then I did happen to watch. Now, I release one episode of Fangirl Hour. Always all media gets released seven days pre-release for patrons, and then I release it for the public. So it's been about, been a couple weeks, but I've been very busy with lots of different things. So in that time, I've been able to watch two episodes of Night Court because it's a lot shorter and it's Night Court. It's my favorite TV show of all time. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And then earlier today, I had therapy and I began to think about things throughout my life that have once again been that that has been, I have found comfort and strength from it. As I have also been thinking about throughout my life, the trauma that I've had and the moments that have made me feel, have weakened me and have affected me lifelong in a negative way. And Night Court has been one that has not so much that when I was preparing for this episode, a song kept coming through my head and that's the song This Town by Neil Horan. I'm going to play a little clip of it right now. I don't want to tell you everything Words I never got to see the first time around And I remember everything From when we were the children Painting this fairground Wish I was there for now If the whole world was watching I'd still dance with you Drive highways and byways Be there with you Now, in that particular song, he's writing about a person that he once had a relationship with, and he's remembering how much he loved this person, and that if he's dated other people or been with other people, he always comes back to that person. And I can relate to that in my own life. However, I also feel that I can say that with Night Court. And I hope that the four remaining, actually there's more than four remaining, there's cast members that were only on there for a couple seasons before they finally got their solid cast um, that went on towards the end. I hope that those remaining members, if there's any chance that they could hear this and that they could understand how grateful I am for them. 
and that watching the shows now or seeing them appear on something else, how comforting and uplifting and strengthening it is to me. Almost like seeing an old friend or a family member that you haven't seen in a long time. It's just in that same way. So I wanted to go over some things that in season two, actually the second episode, not the season two, but we're still in season one, but of episode two of season one of Night Court, we no longer have the public defender um, that we had before. Her name was, uh, I think Sheila Gardner or something like that. She was only in the pilot episode. And then they brought in Paula Kelly, who played Liz. She was awesome. Like, I was watching her last night. And remember, as a kid, I watched these out of sequence. But I was watching her last night from a grown-up perspective. And I was like, wow, she was really cool. I really liked her. And the same with Karen Austin, who played Lana. Uh, She was awesome as well. And I was going on IMDb, and I was trying to figure out when everybody left the series. And from IMDb, they're saying that the main cast that we would know, if you look up on Night Court, you see this main cast, Harry Anderson, John Lercutt, Richard Mole, Charles Robinson, Marky Post, Marsha Warfield. Uh, the first five of that, Harry, John, Richard, Char- Charles, and Marky, they are saying they went from 1984 to 1992. They are credited on IMDb as being the whole run of the series. However, the only top three, Harry, John, and Richard, were there for all those nine years. And that was really confusing to me because I know that, that that's not true. And I'm looking down. I was trying to figure out when Selma Diamond died. They say that she was there from 1984 to 1989. But if you look further, she died in 1985. So that was very interesting. Also, I did see a an interview with her and Charles Robinson. So scrolling down, when did Karen Austin leave, who was the court clerk, and Charles Robinson, who played Mac Robinson, would take over for her, and they say that she was there from 1984 to 1989. So there's something, I- something not correct in this IMDb, because I think Charles Robinson was there at least part of the time when Selma Diamond was alive because there is an interview with the two of them talking about their characters and how they overlap. Uh, But, so that was, yeah. And then also we have Ellen Foley who eventually took over for Paula Kelly. And she was awesome too. She was a little spitfire, a little blonde. She was cute. But, and she played Billy Young. She left in 85. This is correct because... Uh, well, they say Marky Post came in 1984. She didn't. She would have to have come around 1985 when they got rid of um, Ellen Foley. They rode her out and they came up with somebody else. In the episode three, we're starting to see a little bit of why they might have written Karen Austin out as something happens that she outs Harry of an issue he had when he was a kid, he had a uh, criminal record and they don't know what it is. And they're going through the whole episode trying to figure out what's going on. And he finally admits to it. And she's very embarrassed about this so much that she's starting to go off and talk about, you know, I could just kill myself. I could just rip my eyes out. And this whole thing, this whole monologue. And you're like, whoa. And later on, one of the reasons she would leave is she has a nervous breakdown. Of course, when I was a kid watching that, I didn't really understand why she had this nervous breakdown. And as we get to there, we'll talk about it. So before I go any further, I would like to say one more thing. 
Uh, Paula Kelly died in 2020. She was 77. So that means she wasn't there very long. But Harry Anderson, we lost in 2018. Um, and Paula Ke Kelly died last year in 2020. So two years later. And then this year, we lost um, Charlie Robinson. So we have lost, well, we've lost three. And then earlier in the series, when the series was first starting, Selma Diamond, who was 64 when she died, and she smoked like a chimney, and then uh, right after her, they brought in Florence, or Flo, Halep, who was only there for a year as well, and she died of basically the same thing, and she was a similar kind of personality. Um, she was a little bit more, like, matronly than Selma, and Selma was always a little bit hard-edged and, like, wisecracking, and she didn't care, and Flo was similar to that, but her demeanor, her, the way she looked, she always seemed a lot more, um, just more matronly. So that's five in total. And then also I want to say that as I'm looking at the IMDB and remembering, there was amazing talent that they brought in, in this new show. They had Mel Torme, John Aston. Some of you that are younger may not remember these people, but that's okay. They also had Brent Spiner, Yakov Smirnoff. Uh, a lot of these people that went on to greater fame um, really got their start here. Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried? That's how you say his name. Sure. Um, looking more at some scanning down right now. If I can see any other names that would stand out to me right now, that's pretty much it. But yeah, there was a lot of talent that was up and coming that kind of that got their start here they would have maybe a couple episodes or a running thing john aston was already well known at the time and um they they had some kind of background mel torme of course was a was it what was he a kind of a blues singer and he had a long running gig on there because harry anderson and who played harry stone both the character version and the real person loved uh, Mel Torme. So that was kind of a storyline that they allowed to happen in that story. In that story, um, the other thing about Night Court is that it was overshadowed. It had its popularity. It had its faithful few. It had not just a faithful few. It had a great following. Um, to the main two cast members, Harry and John. Larroquette, Harry Anderson, John Larroquette won a lot of, uh, it won, it was Emmy award winning, um, both as the two main actors and also the show itself. So it was well known. It had a following, but it was still somewhat overshadowed by cheers at the time. And then furthermore, I think maybe one of the reasons is that it was quite groundbreaking and ahead of its time. I don't want to go too much into details, but later on in the series, one of the main characters deals with um, someone, he becomes friends with someone who, who comes out as homosexual, a man. And this was not something that was talked about. This was years before Ellen came out, Ellen DeGeneres, before she came out on, on not live TV, but you know, like, uh, uh, primetime TV. So this was talked about and, and this person had to deal with it how, you know, is this because he's gay? Is he going to hit on me? And, and it ended in a way that was very uplifting. Just because he's gay doesn't mean that, yeah, you know, I'm going to hit on you. I just want to be your friend. And then the next thing, another thing that stands out to me 
is that that same character had a friend from high school who was a big football player and he shows up and he has transitioned or is transitioning to female. That was also not something that was as widely accepted as it is now. And I, I'm thinking of other things. There was a spiritual component. They discussed or talked about um, one of the characters is dealing with the idea of God. It, does God exist? Um, and dealing with our own funny way and how that works. And okay, well, maybe it wasn't God. Maybe it was just this other voice. But then the person is really uh, grappling with that. And they always dealt with, when they dealt with their, um, the people that would come into the court that had been arrested and, and were standing on trial, they always dealt with, especially from Harry, the maverick judge, was always dealing it with a sensitivity. And instead of just, you know, laying down the lines and saying, laying down the law and saying, this is what you're going to do because you broke this law. He always came at it and with this really sensitive way that, that reached into the humanity of the person that had done the crime. Now, of course, there was never any crime that was particularly egregious because that wouldn't be funny. That would be like, oh my God, there was no murders. There was nothing like that. But it, it, he was dealing with the humanity of the person the law offender in front of him. And it was frustrating to the others that were there because they always wore, wanted him to kind of go by the book. But even though his, his ways were maverick, they always resolved in a way that was human and was life-changing for all those that had watched it. And they always learned that lesson. This was also at a time in the 80s when it started it wasn't known to do TV shows this way. It, this was not your typical sitcom. The 80s were kind of falling back into the 50s in the sense that there was a lot of family situational comedies. There was Growing pan, Pains. There was um, even Punky Brewster was a father and a daughter. There was uh, Hogan Family, Family Ties. There's shows about a nucleus family, the mother, the father, the kids. And then here comes Night Court, which is similar to Cheers in that way. Cheers set in a bar and Night Court in a courtroom, a courtroom comedy. No one had ever heard of a courtroom comedy. There had been courtroom dramas, but then here comes this courtroom comedy. It was a little bit different. It was definitely different. It was something you never saw, but it was still overshadowed. It was overshadowed because of Cheers. And Cheers was... You know, you remember that. Um, there always had to be one female character that was a potential love interest opposite Harry. Now, why? I mean, that's kind of weird. Like, why do we have to do that? Today, you know, they're, up, they're bringing in a, a reboot of Night Court. And are they going to do something like that? Is it necessary? Is it going to be another, uh, a male? Because the, the judge is a female. It's supposed to be Harry Stone's daughter, Abby Stone. We'll see how that all works out. Why does it have to be? Why did it have to be? Well, of course, nowadays they may make it a woman. They may make it, you know, a non-binary. But why? Um, it's not important. Like in real life, in a courtroom, the the judge would not want to have an affair or a relationship with the public defender. And that's what I got wrong last time. The, there was the public defender that was either played by uh, Paula Kelly or Ellen Foley, and then finally Marky Post. And then opposite that was Dan Fielding, 
played by John Larquette, who was the assistant district attorney, and then I always trying to rise in the ranks to become the district attorney. And he was doing it. Anything he did, he did by any means possible to get whatever he wanted and was always very comedic, comedic and slimy. And it was like, uh, but it was so much fun. It was so much fun to watch him. He's such a good actor. He is the reason why I became an actor. So, as I said before, so, so yeah, why? Why does there have to be a love interest? There wouldn't be in real life. The, the public defender, the female public defender would just go home and after work and do her thing. And she might have another life outside of that. And she might have a, a friendship with the judge or a, a colleagueship with the judge as far as, you know, she works with him. She sees him every day, this and that. Why? Well, I think we have been trained in our society or trained or the stories that have been passed down to us to desire romance, to desire that drama of loving someone, falling in love with them. And then, you know, all that, like, does, does he love her? Does she love him? Are they, are they, or won't they? Will they, won't they? That's that whole like dynamic. It adds a little extra twist to it. Now they never really went into depth with that relationship or with that, with that. However, they, there was always an element that was there. It was there with, with Karen Austin, the original court clerk who played Lana Wagner. They were kind of toying with that. Even in episode three, I just saw she went to comfort him and give him a hug and people walked in and she, and they said, excuse me. And she turned around and said, nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. I'm engaged. And they're like, well, we weren't thinking anything. Oh, okay. You know, and then, um, I don't know of Ellen Foley too much. I think a little bit, but it never went far because she was really only there for about a year. Um, but then definitely with Marky Post as the years went on, she was there from, I think, about 1986 until um, 1992. It's hard to say in here because they're crediting her as the whole entire run. So that it's just interesting that, that we have to have that love interest and we have to have that love interest because it makes for good storytelling. It's not necessary, but it makes for good storytelling. People want to tune in and watch. And, you know, if you look at Cheers at the time, Cheers, uh, Sam Malone had that love affair on and off again, love affair with Diane, who pl uh, played by Shelley Long. And um, we look at Friends we had that on again, off again relationship with Ross and Rachel. Towards the end, they actually got together because you wanted them to get together. You tuned in. You had all the other stories going on, but you tuned in for that connection. Will they? Won't they? It made for good storytelling. And that's just kind of like from the beginning of time with stories, there's always that element because that's, that's what's so powerful to us. Love. Wanting to be loved by another wanting someone to love us, wanting to love someone is such a powerful element in our humanity. Whether it's necessary or not, it's necessary because it's part of our humanity. So with that, I'm going to read a little bit of the synopsis of, let's see, we have in season uh, one, episode two is called Santa Goes Downtown. And the synopsis reads, Harry must deal with a pair of volatile teenage runaways and an old man who believes he's the real Santa Claus. Now, of course, like I said, this was the first episode of Paula, Ke Paula Kelly, who played Liz, who was there for, uh, what did I say? How many seasons? 
think what about one season because it's not really being clear on IMDb. So yeah, she she came in when the show actually started. The first one was a pilot with Sheila Gardner and then they got rid of her after after they got picked up and they brought in Paula Kelly, who was just great. She was I really liked her a lot. She had a really funny, sassy sense. She really gave Dan the what for and yeah, she was pretty strong, a strong woman at the time and she was beautiful. So what I liked about this one is not only did you have the two teenage runaways that were running away from home and they were angry and it was actually, that was interesting. The, the boy, the male uh, teenager was played by Michael J. Fox. And I don't know who the girl was, but she was not well known. And his whole thing was they were running away from home because no one understood them and they didn't feel loved or respected at home. And this little boy was, this little boy, this teenage boy was very angry and Harry had to reach out and kind of tell him that he was loved, make him feel loved so that he could break down that facade. And at the same time, you had this old man who believed he was the real Santa Claus. And of course, at the end, it, it turns out that he was from an insane asylum, but they, the St. Asylum says he always, we always lose him right before Christmas and then we don't find him again until about January. And so it's like, okay, he just wanders off. Where, where does he go? We don't know where he goes. So there's that idea that, oh, well, maybe he's actually, he is Santa Claus. And we're just thinking he's crazy because we don't believe in Santa Claus. We don't believe in that magical sense. And so that was the element of it. And not only was it this angry young boy played by Michael J. Fox that was dealing with his own anger and his own disbelief in life and love and magic, but also Harry and the other cast members, the adults were going, okay, you can't be Santa Claus. There is no Santa Claus. And one of the things is this old man who played, who believed he was Santa Claus spoke to Harry and said, what we do is we pass on the mantle of Santa Claus throughout the generations to the next person. And he puts up his hands and he waves them over Harry as if Harry, you are the next Santa Claus. So there was this element within the story early on in season one, episode two, where they're trying to pinpoint the fact that there is something not only maverick about Harry, but magical. And of course, my young self was picking up on that already, that magical, caring person that was like a Santa that was going to come in and just make your life better and make your life happy and warm. And, you know, they made that in the judge. And of course, he didn't know what to think of that. And then they move on. So, then we have season one, episode three, that is called The Former Harry Stone. And this is an office bet over what Harry's true age is. It, let me read that again. An office bet over what true, Harry's true age is leads to this to the discovery that he has a criminal record. And so, yes, that's it. You know, Harry was this young judge and they we're all sitting around trying to guess his age. And some people were saying in his twenties and some were saying he, he can't be, he's got to be older. What is the limit to become a judge? And so they all decided to take a poll and to, you know, throw in money, you know, a bet to see who could be the closest or who could actually win. And meantime, they, they, you know, the court clerk, Lana has to call down to city council. Now at the time they didn't have computers. They didn't have internet. So she had to call down and request that they send up the, the paperwork that says what his age is so that they can find out. 
but they send up the wrong one. It's a sealed document. They say this is his criminal record, and they're like, oh my God, he has a criminal record. Our judge has a criminal record. This can't be, like, he can't be judged if he has a criminal record. And, and meanwhile, we are, the case that they're dealing with, and now it's really interesting that the situations going on or the circumstances going on with the characters were found their way to be parallel with the those that were brought before them the law offenders those that were on trial and we're dealing with a, a bride and a groom who were getting married and the bride years before had posed nude in a magazine because she needed money and she was a very sexy blonde and kind of a dimwit and then there is this groom that he got so angry when he saw that his friends were passing around this magazine about his uh, soon-to-be wife that he just tore apart though he just went crazy in the church and so that's why they're called called in front of them and they're very angry at each other and he's you know basically body shaming and slut shaming her and she's saying I'm sorry it happened a couple years ago I just needed money and of course you know at the time like that a little groundbreaking but also that wouldn't hold up sway today because we are a little bit more body we are more body positive and more sex positive so and we're and increasingly becoming that so it's a little bit you know th there could be some men that would be and women that would still be uncomfortable with a woman posing nude in a playboy magazine or something of that fashion but also today we would have more people that would be accepting and not be so body and slut shaming but that was kind of the process is that as Harry was able to admit to his past criminal record, which turned out to be something that happened when he was in childhood, when he was a teenager, he took a car, uh, a Cadillac, and just wanted to take it for a joyride. It was not his car, but he ended up running it into a liquor store. As he said, I hit up a liquor store. You, you robbed a liquor store? No, I hit it up. I ran a car into it that wasn't mine. And... The whole point to him was that it was a he was when he was a kid it was he got he got probation he worked through it and it was done but what always stuck with him was that his father had watched it and sat there and not said a thing and then looked at him i'm very disappointed in you harold and that stuck with him and so then as he's as he's admitting to this the couple realized that everyone makes a mistake. Everyone has a past and we can work through that and move forward. And they end up coming into the actual judge chambers where everyone is there and said, you know, we didn't get married before. Will you marry us? And of course, Harry has that right to do it because he's a judge and you can, you can go to the city council and just, you know, get your document. It's a way you can do it. So they end up doing that happily ever after. And so, yeah, I, I, went through everything I wanted to say about that. You know, it was groundbreaking. It was ahead of its time. It was overshadowed. The different uh, characters that came in and went. And we'll turn in next week to see what I do. If I if I watch Beverly Hills 90210, if I watch another fandom. But uh, once again, I think I want to leave you with... I want to close with this song again. Here we go. Things never change in this old town. So far from the stars And I want to tell you everything The 
words I never got to see the first time around And I remember everything from when we were the children painting this fairground Wish I was there with now If the whole world was watching, I'd still dance with you Drive highways and byways to be there with you Over and over, the only truth Everything comes back to you Thank you for listening to the Fangirl Hour. If you would like to geek out with us on the Fangirl Hour, please email us at cafegirlproductions at gmail.com. Thank you especially to our Cafe Girl Superstar patrons, Kathy Anderson, David Anderson, Dorothy Ninao, and David Glamour Dave Ninao. If you want to find out more about Cafe Girl Productions, head on over to www.cafegirlproductionsinc.com. If you want to support us, head on over to www.patreon.com slash cafegirlproductions. The opening theme song includes segments from the TV shows Night Court, Beverly Hills 90210, Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, and Doctor Who. The final theme song includes that of my favorite song by songwriters with a Z, and that is from Gemendo.com. Thank you very much. Bye.